Well, thank you, um, David and Abby, for once again bringing me to tears and making me a complete mess before, uh, before the sermon. <laughs> I just can't help it. I'm supposed to save my voice, right? Well, I just rip it every time on all the songs because it's just like, oh, the worship is so good. And so thank you for, as Tim Hawkins says, uh, we are uh, the jam for the lamb, you know, the flavor of the Savior. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I gotta love that guy. I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to jump into Scripture with you once again, because honestly, there's nothing else like, like the Word of God. Often I'll find my way uh, through, you know, maybe half, half of a regular book, and then I kind of need to set it down because I'm about done. I'm thinking, okay, I got, I got the message here. I get the gist. You know, we, I get it. But <laughs> with the Word of God, it's completely different. I could honestly read the same verse every single week and come away with something different. It's just, it's powerful, the words of God. And you know, sometimes I don't think we regard the word of God in the same way that we think of the ways of God. And what I mean is, if God's ways are higher than our ways and his foolishness is higher than our wisdom, wouldn't it stand to reason that we should approach the word of God with humility? Today, there seems to be this temptation almost to treat the Bible as something that can almost be mastered with enough steady. But the thing is, that doesn't work. Because finite minds can't place limits on the infinite. And no matter how dogmatic or certain you are of something, we, we really can't fit God into our own little perfect little boxes. It just doesn't quite work. You may think I have someone or something particular in mind, but honestly, I don't. I think this can happen to all of us, and it's just a part of human nature. For example, the idea that God has a specific plan for individuals has been a hot topic of debate in recent years, and there's a lot of trying to put God in a box on both sides of that issue. People in my generation, especially and younger, really have no idea what to think about God's plan and how it applies to them, and I think that's a shame. As with most debates, there are two extremes, and Christians today are getting an earful from both sides. On one extreme, you've got the people saying that everything from the color of your toast to that open parking spot is God's plan for you, you know. It's almost like God exists to make you happy and the gospel is sort of a side issue. And then there's the other side, which is a big fat reaction to that. And in that extreme, basically, it's totally not biblical to believe that God has a personal plan for anyone. And God's plan is simply for all of us, you know, just general, to share the gospel. And the idea of anyone being special or loved personally by God is almost frowned upon. The spouse you met, that time you almost died, the day the perfect song came on the radio, well, that was all just luck. Because it would be selfish to think that God would really do any of that for you, after all. As the song says, you're just a nobody talking about somebody. Since those are the two extremes that we hear, there's a lot of people who just don't know what to believe about this vitally important concept that God has a plan. So this morning, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible with me or look up on screen as we dig in to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 14, and we find out more about what it means that God still has good plans for individuals in the past, present, and future. Again, let's read, starting with verse 4 and ending with verse 14. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to them. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. Now, after reading that, there's one thing I need to address before we go any further. There's a certain movement coming out of seminaries that would seek to teach that this passage really has no application for the church today. And as I said, many of our brothers and sisters are at odds about a personal plan of God for His children and what that really means. And part of the whole debate stems around this whole passage um, that we're talking about today and studying. And so before I do anything else, I just want to explain why I believe this passage from thousands of years ago still means God has good plans for us here in the church age. First off, there are two main schools of thought that people use to try and say this passage doesn't apply to individual believers today. One is the promises stated in this passage were only for the time of the Babylonian exile. And two, the promises stated in this passage were only for the nations of Israel. Let me be clear that I believe that both of those statements place harmful boxes both on God and His Word. I'll start with the idea that this passage only applies to the time of the Babylonian exile. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for, for rebuking, and training in righteousness. That is to say that in general, the Old Testament has a purpose and application in our lives today. However, that would just be too easy. So let's also talk about Romans 11, 13 through 17 and 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Now, I don't have time to preach another sermon on those passages, but feel free to check those out when you get home. The bottom line is that believers today have been grafted in to the true Israel. That's Romans 11. And that the promises of God that he made to Israel have been given to us and completed in the identity and work of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 1.20. Also, those of you who have been here for the sermon series on 1 Peter already know that the biblical idea that God's people being exiles didn't stop with Babylon, right? We too are God's elect exiles. Our homeland is in heaven. Uh, the foreign land that, that we've been exiled to is this earth. Also, Last time I checked, I heard something somewhere about the Word of God being living and active. I wonder where I got that from, maybe a movie or a show or something. <laughs> anyway, then there's this idea that the, promise, the promises that God made in this passage are really only for the nation of Israel and not for individuals. First off, let me just say that a nation is a people and that those people are individuals. But also, let's consider Jeremiah himself for a moment. God had very specific and good plans for Jeremiah. Let's read about it now from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, 
Behold, I don't know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I will deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I see a personal God who has a good plan, not just for nations, but for individuals. And Jeremiah is not the only one either. There are so many heroes of our faith that believed in a good and specific plan that God placed on their lives to serve Him. My question is, why would we not seek to imitate that? Listen, our mission and our call is clear in that all of us are here to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to share His gospel. Absolutely. But hear me when I say that God has a different plan for each one of His children when it comes to how they are going to do that. God made us unique and gave us each different spiritual gifts as believers for a reason. Each of us are a different part of the body, as it says in Scripture. So I encourage you to ask yourself, what is God's plan for me? How has He called me to share the truth about Jesus with my life? Listen, I understand that there's a problem with self-centeredness in the American church today, but we aren't going to fix that problem by attacking the idea that God is a personal God with specific plans for individuals. Because for one thing, that's just not biblical, and for another, it just creates new problems. If you were really just a nobody talking about somebody, then God wouldn't have bothered with creating you. With that established, let's get back into Jeremiah 29, starting with verses 4 through 7, and unpack God's good plan for His children in the present. Starting with verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray the Lord for it because if it prospers for you too will prosper. The first verse tells us that God is the one behind the exile while verses 5 and 6 contain instructions for what God's people we're supposed to do build houses, plant gardens, marry, have children. The message here is really pretty positive. And in one sentence summary, God is basically telling them to bloom where they're planted. I'll caveat that by saying that the exiles had, who had been listening to the false prophets up until this point were kind of due for a rude awakening with this message um, because the false prophets were basically telling them, hey, we're going to go. Like, we're going to go right away. We're going to go right back home. And that was totally not God. And so when they heard this message of basically God is saying, hey, stay put. Um, that was kind of a shock to them. But I really do believe that the main message from God here is really pretty much one of comfort. Let me explain what I mean. Imagine a judge whose son is a repeat offender in multiple crimes. The judge sends his son to prison to pay the penalty for his wrongdoing and promises to bail the son out after enough time has passed for him to learn his lesson. But during the punishment, the judge also puts his son through a special program that teaches him real-life skills and helps him build healthy relationships. After a few years, the son is put on parole and meets his wife. Later, when the son is still on parole, he and his wife get married and have children. I'm sorry, they're already married and they didn't have to get married again. But they have children. 
all right? And they build this foundation for a better life. Now, too much longer after that, the judge bails his son out, and he's free to go. The judge and his son are like God in the southern kingdom of Israel during the exile. Think about it this way. Judah was getting every bit of what it deserved. They abandoned God for idols, and they ignored Jeremiah and God's repeated warnings to repent so that he would relent. Just read the other 28 chapters of Jeremiah. The southern kingdom was completely and totally out of second chances, just like the sun in our story. Jeremiah 29 could have said, you will wallow in misery for the next 70 years. Could have just as easily said that for the next 70 years in slavery to Babylon. God had every right to pronounce any number of judgments on them, but instead he encouraged them to make the most of the situation, just like the judge did for his son. That's not only good news, but it reveals something incredible about God. The truth behind the words of Jeremiah is this. God cares enough to have a plan for you in the here and now. As many of you know, my family is going through something very difficult right now. My wife's dad is dying from cancer, and we are beyond thankful for your prayers. But here's the thing. I don't think I could get through any of it if I didn't firmly believe that God has a plan for today. The truth is that when you go through something like that, God's good plan for the future is a comfort, but there's still something inside of you that needs to know that God cares about now. There's something inside of you that still needs to know that God is not only holding on to the future with his hands, but he's holding on to the present. Listen, you may be in a dark place today, but if you're a believer, then I can guarantee you that God has something for you to learn right now. God has something for you to do right now. God has a plan for you right now. He doesn't just show up when you get out of the pit. He's there with you in it. He's there with you in it. Listen, that doesn't mean that everything will be perfect. The Israelites of the southern kingdom were still exiled to a foreign nation. The temple was still burned to the ground. They lost more than most of us can probably imagine. But God still had a plan to take care of them through it all. In my case, I'm probably still going to lose someone I love. But God still has a plan to take care of me through it all. Not just for tomorrow, not just for yesterday. God has a plan for today. Now we've covered verses 4, 5, and 6, so let's get into verse 7. Verse 7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Again, if we remember the fact that we are also elect exiles, and this earth is a foreign land, and heaven is our home, then we can really start to see how this applies to us. Not to mention the fact that seeking the good of our city and praying for it are actually commanded in the New Testament. Check out 1 Timothy 1 and 2, which says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, part of God's good plan for us in the present involves us praying for our city and seeking its prosperity. As a church that meets in a school... We really see that every single Sunday. We pick up trash around the community. We donate to the Family Resource Center here in Ridgefield. We have a good relationship with teachers and school personnel uh, and folks from the city. And here we are at this amazing location. 
My point is, we as a church have sought out the prosperity of our city and its schools. We have prayed to the Lord on its behalf, and even now in this very moment, in its prosperity, God has given us prosperity. Now, I am aware that some of you are already uncomfortable with how many times I've used the word prosperity, so I am definitely not talking about health and wealth here. The word for prosperity in this verse literally means peace. <laughs> what that means is that God is probably not going to give you a jumbo jet for being a good citizen, okay? I'm not saying that we aren't going to be persecuted, and I'm not saying a lot of things, but this isn't a sermon about what Jeremiah 29 doesn't say. This is a sermon about what Jeremiah 29 does say. So what I am saying is that God has a good plan for for us as his children in the present, and a part of that good plan is accessed when we obey the words of Jeremiah 29, 7. However, simply knowing God has good plans for the present isn't very comforting just by itself because, as some of you know better than others, time passes quickly. Thankfully, we will see in the next portion of our text today that God has a good plan for the future as well. Starting with verse 10, Jeremiah writes, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. First off, let's focus in on verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 sounds timeless because it is timeless. While all the other verses are simply a description of what God will do to bless his people, verse 11 is the only verse that really tells us why. It's the most dramatic moment in the letter because it's a statement about God's unchanging character, and that statement is this. God loves you enough to plan his good for your future. And folks, that's not just talking about heaven. That's also talking about our earthly future as well. It certainly was for the exiles of the southern kingdom of Israel in our text. Now, do words like prosperity, future, and hope, does that mean that we'll just have endless riches and earthly fame? No, of course not. In many ways, Israel's return to Jerusalem was a very hard road to walk. Just read Nehemiah. Does the fact that God says his plans are not for disaster mean that that we will never experience hard times? No, no, it doesn't. But that leads us to a question. What does it mean that God has good plans for your future? Well, it means that God is holding your future in His hands. It means that the things that happen in your life may not always be your idea of good, but they will be used for His idea of good. It means you're not just randomly living out your life alone, apart from the influence and care of your Creator as if He was just sort of up there, kind of, hey, you know, I care about all of you, but, you know, one of you is, doesn't matter. It means that God is intentionally, personally, and lovingly involved in your life. I was called to be a pastor when I was 13 years old, and I can remember all the awkward years of taking those career tests. I don't know if they still do those in school, but it was just fun. It was funny because I would take them, and I'm like, I know there's not even going to be a result on this thing. That's what I'm called to do. It was, I think it was like social services was like the closest thing I could get to, but uh, it was, it was, it was just a, a weird time honestly. And I remember the pain of working through my struggles against sin as a teenager and the heartache of a serious relationship I wasn't supposed to have. And 
I remember eight long years of working fast food and doing what it took to make ends meet when I knew what I was called to do. All the time knowing that, that God had called me to be a pastor. On some days, I almost felt like I couldn't go on. In my confusion, I would question God. I would pray, Lord, how much longer do you want me to wait? What's the purpose of all this? As many of you know, God answered my prayer, and that's an amazing story for another time. But for now, I want to address those of you in the room who are walking a road similar to the one I just described. Maybe you have absolutely no idea how God could use what's going on in your life right now. Maybe you found yourself praying prayers similar to the ones that I prayed. If that's the case, let me ask you a question. Do you trust that God's definition of good for your future is better than yours? That question actually, actually reminds me a lot of parenting because as a parent, you have a much clearer picture of what's good for your kid's future than they do. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's that way from experience. And, you know, early the, earlier this week, my two-year-old daughter, Lily, refused to eat her lunch. After repeated warning, she finally put some, the food in her mouth, but she wouldn't swallow it. Halfway there. Okay. After about two seconds, she, she thought she was good, and she, was, she asked me if she could have some candy. And of course, I said, no, you cannot have a piece of candy because... I know what that would mean for a future. I know that that would have negative consequences for a future, but she doesn't understand that. There's no way that she can understand that. As my kids grow up, they may not need another lesson on candy, but they will continue to face situations in their life that will slowly teach them that they can trust my idea of good for their future. God does the exact same thing with us. So again, I ask, do you trust that God's definition of good for your future is better than yours. When it came to my own experience regarding the, my call to ministry, there were days that I flat out begged God to hurry up. There were days when I second-guessed myself. There were days when I wondered if I got it completely wrong. But God always reaffirmed me as I clung on to the simple truth that He had good plans for my future, even if good wasn't what my idea of good was. Today, I can look back and see how God used it all. But for a long time, I had absolutely no idea. So be encouraged this morning that God absolutely does have good plans for your future. If you continue to seek His will, He will reveal the path to you step by step. Maybe there are others of you here today who aren't looking at a long road ahead of you, and it's more like you're looking at a long road behind you. <laughs> and you wonder how God could use any of those mistakes, any of those regrets. Well, let me invite you to look back at the, the text again, because God not only has good plans for the present and the future, but when it comes to His children, He has good plans for the past. Make no mistake, while God did use the exile for good in the lives of His people, it was still a punishment for sin and blatant idolatry. Israel had an ugly past. Ugly. But today, we will look at three ways that God actually used their past for His good. First, God used Israel's ugly past to prepare them for a better covenant. During the exile, most of the people of Judah were not only removed from their land, but their place of worship as well. While faithful Jews did their best to keep the law, there was no substitute really for the temple. I believe that part of God's purpose here was to show the Israelites that they needed a better way to come to God and relate to Him. Second, God used Israel's ugly past to 
Give them a break from bad kings. After the time of King Josiah, there were three kings, and all of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and made some really terrible decisions. When you think about it, the exile actually gave God's people a chance to be spared from further wrath regarding even more bad leadership and bad kings. Third, God used Israel's ugly past to give rest to the land, to give rest to the land. While Babylon did leave Israel's poor population to work the fields of the land, the mass exile actually left much of the land of Judah unattended. Beyond that, God's judgment came on those who were left behind anyway. What all that means is that the soil was actually much healthier. It was much healthier after, after all that time because it got restored. The nutrient balance was restored and it rendered better crops because they weren't planting as much crops in the soil. What these three examples show us is that God can use the darkest moments in our lives for His good. And that even when it comes to the darkness of our past, God has good plans for His children. I've seen God use former gang leaders to lead prison ministries. I've seen God use former sex addicts to lead organizations that help men become pure. What about you? I want to encourage you to start asking God in prayer what His plan is to use your past for his glory. You might be amazed with what God can do. However, the thing about God's good plans are that they are reserved for his children. So here's the question. Are you a child of God? Have you been adopted into the family of God by faith? Is God your father? If he isn't, then I can't hide the truth from you. That the, This whole comfort about good plans for your past, your present, your future, that's not for you yet. You don't know God. You're not his child. That can't be applied to you. You're still actually separated from God, much like those God left behind in Jerusalem that wouldn't repent to be judged. So I need to tell you that ever, ever since Adam and Eve, sin has separated all of us from a holy God. Sin is basically the pride that we, we all have to do things our own way and to benefit at the expense of others and against God's heart and character. The good news is that God made a way for all of us through Jesus Christ. And it's a good thing he did because there's no way we could, we could get there on our own. Not a chance. So this may shock you, but I'm going to ask you to stop trying if you don't know Jesus today. Stop trying. Stop trying to make yourself better. Because the truth is that you're just going to keep failing. And stop trying to accept yourself when you know there's something broken inside of you. Let me ask you, would you rather be told that you don't have a disease or face the fact that you do and be cured? We aren't cured from our disease. We are cured from our disease of sin when we place repentant faith on Jesus and what he did, his identity, his work, what he did on the cross, how he rose from the grave, that it freed us from our sin, that it gave us eternal life. Maybe God is speaking to someone in this room right now. Maybe you're tired of trying you don't have to try. You just need to believe. You just need to believe in Jesus and what he did for you. So I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to give you a moment right now to respond in faith to what Jesus is calling you to do. Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room that came here today searching or seeking that doesn't know you, that doesn't, isn't a part of your family. Lord, maybe, maybe they want in on this. They want in on the good plans that you have for us. Lord, it's not an easy road, but it's a good one. 
Lord, I pray for that person right now, that in this moment, they would just say in their hearts, I believe. I believe in what you did, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave. I believe you forgave me for my sin. I believe you made a way so that I could be a part of your family. And I'm stepping out in faith today and trusting in you. Lord, I pray for that one, that um, you would just be with them, that the Holy Spirit would fill their heart as, as, your, as your word says. Um, they would just know that you're with them. Lord, I pray for the rest of us in this room that do know you, that you would help us remember that you do have good plans for us. Help us not be discouraged, that you can use our past, that you have good plans in the future, but that you also have good plans for right now, that, you, that, you, that you're, you're, not, you're never stopping holding our hands through, through everything. Lord, thank you for what you've done. And I just uh, thank you for your word and for your good plans. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.